0: This is Rev. Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown. and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. There's one of the Old Testament prophets who has been called the greatest preacher in the Old Testament. This distinction did not come, however, because this man's life so portrayed the qualities that we expect of a preacher. This person is one of the best known of all the Bible characters, not because of his own doing, not necessarily, but because of the circumstances and events that shaped his life. Everybody is interested in animals and the wonders of God's creation. This Old Testament prophet became vitally interested in another one of God's creation, that which the Bible simply calls a great fish. The book begins in a way in which many accounts of the Old Testament begin. The word of the Lord came unto, and in this case, Jonah. But God had a special word for this prophet. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. For 600 years, Nineveh was the mistress of the world, perhaps the greatest empire of antiquity. The city of Nineveh was great in size and was also extreme in its sin. Other Hebrew prophets had predicted the overthrow, the annihilation of this cruel city, but God is not indifferent to the sin of any individual or any city. And God spoke to the prophet Jonah way off there in Galilee and told him he was to go and cry against the city of Nineveh. This was something relatively new for the prophet. God had heretofore called people generally to speak to their own nation or to a people of nearby proximity. But now God calls Jonah to go on a long journey to preach, to become really a foreign missionary. As we read along in the text, we know that Jonah had other ideas about going to this place called Nineveh. The call to Nineveh, which was in Assyria, was a call to go to a despised place, for the people of Israel hated the Assyrians. Jonah, no doubt, shared that patriotic hatred of what the prophet Nahum called the bloody city full of lies and robbery. Let me read that from Nahum chapter 3, first four verses. <clears throat> Doomed to the capital crime, Nineveh, the city of murder and treachery. Here is your fate, cracking whips, churning wheels, galloping horses, roaring chariots cavalry attacking, swords and spears flashing, soldiers stumbling over piles of dead bodies. You were nothing more than a prostitute using your magical charms and witchcraft to attract and trap nations. That's the way Nahum described the city of Nineveh. And so instead of obeying the command of God to go to Nineveh and starting out for Nineveh, Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of God. Have you ever thought, why didn't Jonah just stay where he was? When God says, do this or do that, and we decide not to obey, our disobedience makes us uneasy, uncomfortable. People today who disobey the voice of God try to get away from God's presence in a lot of ways, maybe in business or in pleasures of the world. Evil always makes a person want to turn and run away. They get the fidgets, sort of like restless legs at night. They can't sit still. This ship that Jonah got on was going, as the Bible says, toward Tarshish. It, he didn't care where it was going, just in the direction of Tarshish. Not important where we run today, just that we're running from God. Tarshish, by the way, was in the southern part of Spain. This was about as far west as ships were likely to sail from Palestine back then. Jonah wasn't trying to go to Tarshish. Uh, He was just going to go in that direction. Why do some people never go to church or read their Bible or pray? Because to do so brings an unhappy, uncomfortable emotion. Their first thought is to get away as far away from possible from the God who's giving the commands. That's exactly what Jonah did. Well, for the sake of time this morning, we're not going to get into the full story of what happened to Jonah. You know that story anyhow, how Jonah boarded the ship headed toward Tarshish, how the storm came up and the men on board prayed to their gods, that's with a small g, all to no avail. Finally, they came and found Jonah asleep in one of the sides of the ship. They asked him a very penetrating question. What is your occupation? <laughs> At first, the mariners decided, well, we'll just talk to him and we'll, we'll throw him overboard, certainly. But later, they felt that this was the only thing they could do which could appease the gods. And so they threw Jonah overboard. Uh, as you follow in the Bible later, that, if you want to read that second chapter of Jonah sometime, that's a prayer that Jonah prayed while he was in the belly of the, the great fish. People call it a whale sometimes. The Bible, Bible uses the term a great fish. Talking about an earnest prayer. <laughs> that's an interesting prayer. Go read it sometime. Well, miraculously, God delivered Jonah from the fish, and he found himself upon dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, telling him to do the same thing he had been asked to do in the first place. Well, he seemed to have gotten Jonah's attention. So this time Jonah obeyed and went. So often people overlook the real message of the book of Jonah because of the fascination of the storybook events that are in the book. The book of Jonah has come under a lot of evaluation and sometimes criticism, Uh, and a lot of scholars have tried to decide whether the book is a literal event or maybe a parable, like Jesus told many parables. Maybe it's an allegory. We have a lot of allegories in the Bible, or whatever it is. I agree with uh, John Claypool that we have in the book of Jonah a struggle of the love of God against the heart of man. The problem of the book of Jonah is the problem of a love gap. God has a big heart, full of love, but man's heart is narrow, not full of love. Therefore, the book of Jonah becomes for us a mirror, as you and I are called also to go to our own Nineveh, to our own Assyria, to our own commission to speak on God's behalf. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, there was no question as to what God wanted him to do. But Jonah first tried offering alternatives to the will of God. Do you remember that? Uh, Jonah tried to ignore the people God took seriously and whom God had called on him to love. Jonah tried to separate himself in space from those whom he did not like. Isn't that what we do also? We try to evade, ignore those that we don't care for. In fact, when there are those who do show concern for these people we don't like, sometimes there are others who lash out in rebellion against those who are extending a ministry. I've heard people say, we don't need to send foreign missionaries to our enemies over there. We don't like those people. And so we complain about missionaries who go there. Jonah tried to ignore the people that God took seriously. God tried to get him to serve those, but he didn't want to do that. Well, when that plan didn't work for Jonah, he decided something else. He said, okay, go to condemn Nineveh. He'll bury it under bitter condemnation. So Jonah went about Nineveh preaching only one message. Here was his message. In 40 days, destruction will come. Nowhere do we have the element of mercy, which is so characteristically found in other prophets. There's no indication of any feeling of sympathy in the heart of Jonah for these Ninevites. Don't we do this too? We say, okay, God, well, if we have to live with those that we don't like, we'll do it, but let's do it in terms of condemnation. Let's make no mistake that we're in a position above those people, See, we have a hotline, hotline to God, and so we condemn them. I heard a preacher say one time many years ago that we need to have more sermons on hell. Don't, don't hear many preachers talking about hell. He said, but any preacher who preaches on hell must do so with tears in his eyes and with a breaking heart. After Jonah had finished delivering his message to these Ninevites, he went outside the city in a little booth and waited for the city to be destroyed. Ah, they're going to get what they deserve now, he was thinking. But horror of horrors, something else happened. Nineveh, instead of being destroyed, repented. This makes Jonah angry, and he cries out to God, I'd rather die than see these Ninevites as a part of your family. In Jonah's anger, God makes still one more attempt to show Jonah the difference between his own selfish human nature and God's divine loving heart. God showed Jonah what it was like to lose something that you love. And here's where we have that little story of the plant and the worm. It's in chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Let me read it from the contemporary English version. <clears throat> Jonah then left through the east gate of the city and made a shelter to protect himself from the sun. He sat under the shelter, waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. Let me interrupt the reading here. I can just see Jonah rubbing his hands together and grinning his, gritting his teeth and grinning a sly grin and say, I'm just, in 40 days, I know the fire of God is going to come down on these people. Let's pick up the reading now. The Lord made a vine grow up to shade Jonah's head and protect him from the sun. Jonah was very happy to have the vine, but early the next morning, the Lord sent a worm to chew on the vine and the vine dried up. During the day, the Lord sent a scorching wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, making him feel faint. Jonah was ready to die, and he shouted, I wish I were dead. Here again, we have Jonah wanting to die. Verse 3 was the first time he said he wanted to die. And now, uh, here he is again. And at this point, God drives home the moral of the story. Jonah. Can't you understand how I feel about these Assyrians? If you can have this kind of grief for a plant, can't I have this love for a people? And with that, the story of Jonah bluntly ends. Now, what is God saying to us in this little book from the Old Testament? You may have heard many interpretations of this book, but I ask you to consider prayerfully what I believe God is telling us today. You may not like, I may not like what God is saying any more than Jonah liked to hear God's Word, but will you listen and consider? We must begin to see other people as children of God and as objects of God's love God is right now in the process of trying to get us to grow big hearts for all people. God has made all things. God has made all people, and he loves everything, every person he has made. Can you think of some person or some group uh, of individuals who don't fit? your category of people that you ought to love? I must confess that I I have real problems in giving my heart to God and to other people. So often I catch myself trying to throw up some kind of defense like, but God, do these other people deserve your love or my love? This is not any more a question for me to ask than it was for Jonah to ask of those people of Nineveh. Who of us can say that we deserve one good thing we've ever received from God. You see, God is trying right now today to grow within me a great heart, and he'll do this only if I give him the slightest chance. Maybe you're not really sorry for the way you feel and not loving everybody. Then could you really say that you're sorry that you are not possessed of that feeling? if it makes sense, maybe you can say you're sorry that you're not sorry. Here then might be the tiniest beachhead where God can begin his wonderful work in growing within your heart a love like his. Yes, God made all things, and he loves everything, every person he has made. Will you pray with me? It's not your power, O Lord, but your love, which dismays us. We're not what we ought to be. We're not what we would like to be. But, O God, by your help, may we at least gradually move from our narrow love so that we can honestly say that we are not what we used to be. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus who loved all of us, who loved so much that he gave himself for us. In his name we pray. Amen.